Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we rejoice to hear your word. Father, we thank you that your word, uh, Father, that the, it says that all Scripture is God-inspired. It's God-breathed, Father, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction and correction in righteousness, Father. And so, Lord, we just look to your word, Father. We thank you. The faith comes by hearing the Word, Father. And God, we thank You that the faith that we need to move the mountains in our lives is based on Your Word. And so, Father, we purpose in our hearts right now to be good ground that will receive the seed of the Word that will bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. And we just give You thanks for it now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bible to the book of Romans, the 8th chapter. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about God is on your side. Amen? That seems real elementary to some of us if we've been on the way uh, very long, if you've been a follower of Jesus for very long. It seems like, well, that would be a given. God's on my side. God's a good God. But you know that there's lots of believers out there today that aren't fully persuaded God, that God is good and that God's for you. Amen? You need to be firmly persuaded that no matter what comes your way in life, God loves you, God's for you, God is always vested in your, in your victory, and God's always... God, you realize that God is heavily vested in your success. Amen? How many of y'all know the whole concept of, of capitalism is that a, a, someone that has wealth, as they call capital, investment capital that they take that capital and they see a business opportunity where they can take a portion of their finances and that capital and invest it in something because they see the potential return. You understand that God took a capitalist venture on you and God looked and He saw you. doesn't matter your educational background, your family background, your race is irrelevant, whatever. God looked and God saw you and He saw the unlimited potential and the, un and the unprecedented return that he could get out of you, amen? Don't think I'm talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about you. God saw the return that he could get from you and he made the heaviest investment that he could, amen? Amen. I remember that I've, I've known people before that have got into business ventures. Someone said, hey, you know, I've got a business idea like that. And you invest, you know, you know $10,000, $20,000 into something, and you've got a little bit of interest in it, right? Now, how many of you all know that when you invest all that you have in something, amen? You're, you're completely just, you're hanging your whole faith on the fact that this concept, this business, it's going to take off and it's going to fly. And you need to realize that God has invested heavily in you as an individual and in the church corporately. Amen? And God's a wise investor. Amen? Romans, I'm just going to start reading in verse 26, and I'm going to read some pretty lengthy verses here before we begin to take a look at some of these things. This is a good, good chapter. Praise God. I'm going to start with verse 26. I'm reading now the New American Standard Bible. It says, And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For when we do not know how to pray as we should, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Amen? That's just a... Just pause right there. That's why it's so important for you to be filled with the Holy Ghost, be baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Amen? It's not so you can impress someone, say, Oh, look how spiritual I am. I pray in tongues. No, no, no. You understand Christian believers should have an advantage. Amen? The Holy Spirit is the, is the Christian advantage. Jesus, before He left, He said, He said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'll leave you another comforter. Amen? And the comforter was the advantage. It literally meant one who comes alongside and protects and is your rear guard. 
Amen? And so you understand that this verse right here is saying when you don't even know what to pray. Amen? How many of you that maybe you uh, before you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your prayer language, praying in tongues, or maybe you're there now and you've prayed and you've found yourself in this situation where you didn't even know what to pray. All you can say is just, God, show yourself mighty on my behalf. You know, Lord, I don't even know what to pray. Just help me, Jesus. Well, how many of y'all know God can answer that prayer? I call that a shotgun prayer. You know what I mean? I mean, you get bird shot and you just point the shotgun in the right direction and squeeze the trigger and you're going to hit something, right? Well, that's a, how many of y'all know, though, that rifle prayers are more effective? What do you mean a rifle prayer, Pastor? Where a shotgun shoots a whole lot of little pellets in a broad pattern and it can hit something. If you take a rifle and you look exactly at what you want and you put it in the crosshairs and you squeeze the trigger, you can deliver more killing power with a rifle shot than you can bird shot, right? Amen? And so when you begin to, when you have uh, the ability to pray in tongues and pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, how many of us knows, He knows everything about everything. And he's going to zero right in. And, and this scripture saying that in your, in your weakness or in your infirmity, when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit, if you'll yield to him, he knows exactly what to pray. He knows exactly what the will of God is for that specific situation in your life. And if you'll yield to him and allow him to pray, well, if God knows what I need, why don't he just do what I need him to do? Because he said for you to ask. Because man, he's given man dominion on the earth, right? Is that, what the, is that what the word says back in Genesis, that God gave man dominion on the earth? And Jesus, the Lord Jesus, told us that we need to pray. In other words, when we're praying, yeah, and does this sound familiar? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants us to ask. Well, when we don't know how to ask, the Holy Spirit will give us guidance. He'll teach us. And as we pray and yield to Him, He's going to pray out exactly what God's will is for that specific situation in your life. And it's going to take your prayers from being a shotgun prayer to a rifle shot prayer. Amen? You can be right on target and deliver a whole lot more power than what birdshot will. Amen? And he, uh, see, and he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the full will of God. You are not you will never pray a prayer that is more specifically the will of God than what you are praying when you pray in the Spirit. Amen. You understand how many of us think that the Holy Spirit knows exactly what God wants? Amen. It's the Spirit of God, right? And so when we yield ourselves to Him and we pray, it said He's praying according to the will of God. Verse twenty eight. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Not their own purpose, His purpose. Amen? For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And, he, and whom He predestined, these He also called. And whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. What shall we say to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of sword, just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth 
nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Praise God. You ought to take tremendous consolation in this passage of Scripture. This is basically, this is the layman, simple, boiled down translation of this. God is on your side. Amen? If you're a born-again believer, if you've made Jesus Lord, if you've asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, and you've made that commitment, you need to realize God is sold out, fully invested in your success. Amen? You look back, let's take a look at, at verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? Turn in your Bibles to Psalms 118. Amen. Psalms 118. And take a look at verse 6. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen. What can man? You remember Jesus told a story about. He said, "He said not to fear man who can destroy the body, but 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 to fear God who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell." Right? Amen. You realize over in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews quotes this verse that I will not be afraid. Amen. God is for you. You realize that the God that created this universe, you are His little darling. Amen. You might as well just get used to it. You are His favorite. Amen? I am His favorite. Well, how can we all be His favorite? Well, if we're all in Christ, amen, we're all born again. The Bible says we're baptized by one Spirit into Christ, amen. And so you realize that when He sees us, there was an old song in the church I grew up, they used to sing, when He sees me, He sees the blood of the Lamb. He sees me as righteous, and that's what I am, amen, because the blood of Jesus has been applied, amen. You realize... 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Oh, pastor, what about this in my past? It's, it's under the blood. God can't see it. He's not going to bring it up. It doesn't matter if you what your sin was. doesn't matter if you were an alcoholic, a drunk. doesn't matter if you were a dope addict. doesn't matter if you were a fornicator. doesn't matter if you were a blasphemer. It doesn't matter if you were a murderer. It doesn't matter what it was. When you, you realize when Jesus Christ became Lord, the old you died and you rose in the newness of life and in God's sight you're a new creature, you're a new creation and everything that you did in your past, amen, the debt was paid in full, amen? Now you understand with people you, you might not get that kind of slack. I worked with a gentleman for years that he was a, a real cruel supervisor and he didn't have a whole lot of friends on the job, and he got born again, and then didn't understand why all the people at, 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 the, at, the, at the plant didn't realize what a wonderful transformation had taken place in his life, even though he treated people different. How many of y'all know sometimes, that, you know, for 20 years, if you've been abusive and cruel and ugly to people for 20 years, and you come back saying, I got Jesus, they're like, that's great, we should go meet him. <laughs> Some of y'all get that, amen. That people might not give you credit all of a sudden. And people might not just say, because you're going to have to, you know, what's going to take some time to earn their trust? But you understand it with God, the moment you repent, the moment you, and what's repent? Change the way you think. The moment you change you, the way you think, you confess your sins. The Bible says that he, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You understand there's a difference between confessing your sins and repentance. Amen? When people need to realize that. When you confess your sins, that's when you've made a transgression against God. You've broken God's rules. 
and you realize it, 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 it gets revealed to you, and that you go, and your heart condemns you. But you know, the, the Bible says over in First John talks about that our heart condemns us. You realize it's not even it's not even the Holy Spirit that's condemning a believer when we do wrong. It's your own heart because your spirit is born again. And, and all the light and the revelation of God's Word that He wants to give you, He's going to bring it through your spirit. And the Bible says that your own heart condemns you. Amen? It's what's letting you know, man, I've done something wrong and I need to make it right. And so that's when you need to confess your sins because the Word says, if we, like we said, First John 1, 9, that He's faithful and just. If we, if we sin and we confess our sins, He's faithful, He's just, not only to forgive you, but to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. How many of you ever had, you've had an argument with someone and then you go back later and you say, you know what, I really want to ask your forgiveness. And they say, well, I'll forgive you, but I can't forget it. Well, then they're not really forgiving you the way God wants them to. Selah. Amen. You understand that when a brother or sister makes a transgression against you and they ask for forgiveness, if you're really forgiving like God, here's another one. How do we pray, Lord? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Whoo, sweet Jesus, help us, Lord. Do we know what, do we know what we're asking? Because if you offer forgiveness with strings attached, if we offer but forgiveness, y'all <laughs> wonder what Pastor said. I'll forgive you, but I forgive you, but is that the kind of forgiveness we want from God? Do you want God to say, "Oh, I forgive you, but"? Mm, that kind of but can get you in hell, can it? Glory to God. But you understand that that God, if we forgive, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, and He cleanses you of all unrighteousness. And God, as far as He's concerned, God's like, "What are you talking about?" There's another song I remember when I was a kid growing up. Said, "said What sin are you talking about?" And, and the song, the gist of the song was someone going to God, and they were just talking to God, saying, "God, I'm, you know, I'm so unworthy, and, and I'm so, I'm sorry that I'm such a disappointment to you, and all the things I've done wrong, and blah blah blah." And God's sitting there going, "What sin are you talking about?" What are you talking about? You realize that when, when the death, you understand that the accuser of the brethren is Satan. And if there's anything in your life that you have already ever confessed to God and asked His forgiveness and you've repented of it, because this is the other part, confessing your sin is confessing and admitting to God, God, I've did wrong and I need your forgiveness. Repentance means I change the way I think about it. Amen? In other words, I don't think it's acceptable to do it anymore and I'm not going to do it anymore. Huh? You understand that, that when you do that, man, God, He completely forgives you. He cleanses you of that. He doesn't hold it against you. He doesn't even know what you're talking about. If you, the devil, those the accuser of the brethren. And if there's something in your life that you have genuinely, you've confessed it to God, said, God, it was wrong, it was a sin, and Lord, I'm just asking you to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, and Lord, I've I changed the way I think about it. That behavior is not acceptable. It's not acceptable for me to do that. It's not acceptable for me to think this way. It's not acceptable for me to speak that way. And you confess your sins and you repent, amen, then God forgives it. And you understand that He's not going to... And if, if, if it keeps coming up, and this is what the devil likes to do, this is kind of off subject, but I'll go ahead and get it, is that the devil, he'll like to, when you're praying, when you're believing God, when you're standing in faith for something, the devil likes to go to the graveyard and dig up skeletons and shake them in front of you. Oh, remember when you did this. Oh, remember when you did that. And you know what you need to do? This is the thing. Take inventory. Because if, it's been, if you've confessed it and repented of that sin, amen, you just need to say, I don't even know what you're talking about. What are you talking about, devil? Huh? I don't even know what you're talking about. Go tell God because God don't know. 
And God, this is you understand that when God forgives, it is forgiven, it is forgotten, and God no longer holds that against you, amen. And you are cleansed from all unrighteousness, so that when you go back into His presence, amen, you don't even you don't ever even feel uncomfortable anymore. You need not. Amen? We've all been there, haven't we, where you've had conversations with people where maybe you did somebody wrong. Amen? And you know you did them wrong. And this is the big thing, you know, and you wrestle with your problem. Oh, do I need to apologize? And you know you did wrong. And you go do it. And you go ask them to forgive you. And even if they, even if they completely forgive you. Amen? Even if they just say, hey, you know what? I forgive you. I love you. You know, just, just forget it. Nothing to it you still get to that point where you still feel uncomfortable. Have you ever been there? You feel uncomfortable around a person. Well, I feel like, you know, our relationship's not really like what it used to be, and I just don't feel comfortable around them anymore. And then you start avoiding them. Right? You start avoiding that person. And why? Did they really forgive you? Well, if they really forgave you, then you realize that it's, that it's silly for you to allow yourself to feel condemned to feel guilty, like, oh, you know, after what I've done, I can't go around them. And that's one of the tricks that the devil will use to try to alienate you from God and alienate you from your help. It's to get you thinking, well, after what you did, look how you showed out. Look what you did. I can't believe you did that to that person. I can't believe you talked that way to that person. I can't believe you, know, you did such a thing. How could you do that? How do you even feel any confidence to get back into the presence of God? Huh? You need to realize that that's the plan. The Bible tells us not to be ignorant concerning the schemes of the devil. And this is the thing. If the devil can cut your fellow... You realize that, that God is all about healthy relationships. God's will is that everybody... You, because you understand this. The whole law... And, the Bible, and Jesus said that the whole law is, is, is summed up in this. Love the Lord God with all your heart and mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the law and everything that Jesus did is all about reconciling relationship. Period. Everything. Everything that God has ever done has been to establish or reestablish relationship with people. Amen? And so you understand this, is that if you can break someone's fellowship, you've, you've essentially cut relationship. Amen? If there's no fellowship, you take a husband and wife. If a husband and wife, if they never have any time together, if they never have any time where they're sitting and talking with each other and enjoying one another's company and doing things together, when that fellowship gets cut, then guess what? The relationship gets jeopardized because guess what? If the husband and wife aren't having a good relationship at home, the devil's going to be real sure to bring little Miss Prissy Pants through the office to try to warm up to the husband and get him into something, right? Husband ain't talking to his wife. Guess what? Huh? There'll be some dude down the street. There'll be some, the, some your wife meet someone that's be out someplace, and they'll meet such a caring, young, uh, caring man that just wants to hang on every word they've got to say. And he he is so caring. He's so much different than my husband. He listens to me, and he wants to hear how my feelings are. And then the next thing you know, guess what? So you understand that when fellowship is broken, it gives place to the devil to destroy a relationship. Amen? And so you, but you need to realize God is on your side. And if you sin, amen, then you can be forgiven. You can have relationships restored. And God wants to do that. God's on your side. Amen? God is for you. Amen? Turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Amen? What shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Matthew chapter 1. 
just some th- just give you something here to think about. Matthew 1, verse 23, it's prophesying about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Amen? Not only is God for you, but if you're a born-again believer, God is with you. That's what, Je- that's what Emmanuel means, God with us. You realize that the Bible says that the that greater is He that's in you than he that is in the world. And you understand that that's talking about the Holy Spirit, but you realize you receive the Holy Spirit by receiving... When you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ. And that word baptize just simply means engulfs... It, means to, it literally means to envelop. There's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that you are enveloped into the body of Christ. Amen? And then the Bible says that Jesus is the one that baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. But you need to realize that no matter what you go through in life, no matter what circumstances are facing you, no matter what what mountain of circumstance that the devil tries to put before you to intimidate you, it doesn't matter if you're a single mom, it doesn't matter if you're a single dad, it doesn't matter if you're a single person that's living your life by yourself, if you have children at home or if you're an empty nester. Amen? If you are a born-again believer, you do not walk alone. Amen? You've got someone on the inside of you, the very God that spoke the universe into existence. Amen? The very God that, that, that sent His Son to crush the head of the serpent and destroy the power of the enemy. Amen? That power's in you. If the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead quickens your mortal bodies, amen, you understand we're not talking fairy tale stuff. Huh? This is real. This is how we live. And you realize you have to have a firm persuasion of it in your heart to believe it and walk in it. Amen? But God is with you. Amen? How many of y'all know God desperately wants to bless you? More than you want to be blessed. More than you want God's blessing. God desperately wants to bless you. And you understand, blessed means to do something good, to bestow something good upon you. Amen? Verse 32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not also freely give us all things? Amen? Do we realize what I say? What this verse is saying is if God gave Jesus Christ His Son on the cross, can you think of anything that He would withhold from you. Amen? You realize this. I mean, it's like me and Pastor Cheyenne. She's, she has completely given her life for me. She's my wife. We're in covenant. And she has completely given her life for me. I've completely given my life to her. And you understand this. She's given me two of the most beautiful children that I could have ever imagined to have. Got a third one on the way. She's given her entire life for me. She's given herself for me. Now, could you imagine this? What that she's given me all this stuff and it gets down to, there's, uh, you know, that we go out and she, we're eating. I said, hey, can I have a bite of that? And she answered, no! Get your own. This is mine. I'm like, all I want is a bite, but no! Get your own, you selfish thing. Could you imagine how ridiculous that would be? It's like, wait a minute. You've already given me everything. Amen? You've given me everything in your life, and you're going to hold back a little bite of food that you can go back up and get some more of? That's silly, ain't it? Well, think about this. If God already gave Jesus Christ, what in the world would make you think that God wouldn't want to help you out with your rent? What in the world would make you think that God wouldn't want to help you out with your utility payment? 
What in the world would make you think that for some reason, there's just some reason that God's, put that, that God's letting you bear that sickness and He's just teaching you something because God knows you're special and that you're, you're, you're tough enough to bear that sickness and disease and, and He's just going to put that on you because He just really doesn't want to give you healing. And there's some people that think that. But you understand that sickness and disease is not a good thing. If you have sickness in your body and it's preventing you from being able to function to your full capacity to carry out your assignment on the earth that the king has for you, then you understand it's not a good thing. And so you understand God's not withholding anything from you. Say, well, if he's not withholding it, why ain't I getting it? Well, it could be a lot of things. Why aren't you asking? Are you asking? Are you going to God and asking him? If you need rent money, are you getting on your knees and saying, God, you said, you said in your word that you'd supply all my needs according to your riches and glory. And Father, I honor you with my finances, and I just don't know where it's going to come from, but Lord God, I'm standing on your word that you're faithful and just, and I just thank you for it. Are you, I, mean, that's one, I mean, that's simple, really, and sometimes we forget that, but are you asking? Amen? Let me ask you, is there something, you know, another possibility? Is it possible that maybe you've done something that uh, has compromised your righteousness. You understand righteousness means your right standing with the governing authority, right? Is it possible that maybe you've done something that's cut you off from the supply? Just because, you, just because the, maybe the supply is withheld, number one, please don't think. I'm saying sometimes you might just have to wait. Sometimes have we asked. Sometimes we may have asked, and we're not in right standing with the king to receive from it because you understand this, if we're not being faithful, and let's just say finances just because it's one that's easy for us all to, to relate to, if we're not being faithful in the area of our finances to be a good steward of it, then right there might be the problem. But you understand this, whatever it is, it's easy to remedy. God's not trying to make it hard on you. Do you realize that everything God, when God sent Jesus, he sent Jesus to make it as easy as he could for you. Amen? So you understand this, find out what it is. God wants to bless you. Find out what the problem is, get in right standing, address it. And this is the thing, nothing might be wrong. You just might be having to stand. Amen? Don't, don't approach the things of God with the mentality that we've got, uh, contemporary mentality that we've got, the you know, Burger King mentality. I want my way right away at Burger King now. Huh? I want, you know, I want it in 90 seconds or less. I want it delivered in 20 minutes or it's free. Huh? How many of y'all know God don't work that way? And just because it's delayed doesn't mean that it's not coming. I mentioned this Wednesday night. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, if you're expecting something and you realize that your hope, your expectation has to be founded on faith that's founded on the Word, if your hope is deferred, it makes the heart sick. And remember I said this, the deferred doesn't even mean it ain't coming. If you got a check coming and it just got deferred, that means it's just being held up for a little bit. And so you don't need to let your heart get sick to the point to where you cast off hope. Amen? Stay, stay hooked up. Keep doing the Word. God wants to bless you. Amen? John 3.16, we all know this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? If God's already gave the best and most valuable person that He had, why would He withhold anything good? He's not going to do it. And so, this is the thing. Find out what the Word says. You know, the Bible says, the book of James says that you have not because you ask not, and that sometimes you'll ask amiss. Amen? In other words, you're asking 
for the wrong reason. Do you know your motives are just as important when you pray as what you're praying for? Because this is the thing. Which do you think God esteems higher? If you're praying, oh God, give me a thousand dollars, give me a thousand dollars, and it's because you've got a thousand dollars worth of toys you want to go buy. Or if you see someone that's in need and you're praying and saying, God, you know what? I, it's on my heart to bless that person, and I'm just asking you, Lord, bring in extra money to me so that I'm able to help meet that need in that person's life. You see the difference? You have not because you ask amiss. Amen? God's interested in the motives of our heart. But God already gave Jesus. Amen? Psalms 84.11. You don't have to turn there, but you can write this down. Psalm 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from, those, from them that walk uprightly. Amen? You need to understand, God wants to bless you. How many of you have been parents that when your kids were little and you had and you and it was on your heart to take them out and you wanted to do something good for them? You wanted to bless them and you just told them, you said, now look, mommy and dad, we're going out. But now you need to act right and you need to behave right because daddy really wants to get this for you. I know you want it and daddy really wants to get it for you, but you need to act right. And then you go out and then maybe, you know, maybe they're a little rambunctious. Maybe they had a little bit too much red dye coloring in their food or something like that. They had a little too much sugar. And they, and they get a little off the hook. And they don't mind you. And as part of a, parent, a good parent, because you understand it's a good parent that will discipline their child. You're not doing your children any favor to where when they break the rules and you go ahead and you break over and, and give them what they want anyway. Guess what? God won't do it either. Amen? But you understand that you, you say no, and then you're disappointed because you wanted to do it too. There have been times I, I took Clay to the park, and I said, Now, Clay, if you're good, after we get through at the park, Daddy will take you and we'll go get some ice cream. And then he was, then he was bad, and we go get ice cream. I was disappointed too because that's the only way I was going to get some. Amen? Take him, take him to Brewster's and get him a little dinosaur sundae, and then I get to have some ice cream too, right? I was just as disappointed as he was because I wanted to have the opportunity to bless him. But how many of y'all know that's sort of the way, not that God's wanting the ice cream, but God wants to bless you. Amen? Turn to Matthew chapter 7. You're there in chapter 1, or it should still be there. Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 7. It says, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask. Amen? How much more? If you being an earth, a, a mere mortal man, and, and we'll say this, you've got to look at the context of when Jesus made the, convert, uh, made the comment, when he said, if you being evil, he was talking to men that weren't even born again. The new birth wasn't even available. Okay? So you understand he's talking to people before they were, the opportunity to even be born again is there. He said, if you being evil, if you know how to give good things to your children... And if it's the desire of, the, of a father's heart, an earthly father's heart, that I want to give good things and I want to bless my children and I want to show goodness to them, how much more? Everybody say that. How much more? Amen. How much more does God want to give you good things? Amen. It's the desire of His heart. He says, how much more will He, your Father in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? 
Amen? A lot of tapping into the goodness of God, a lot of making, uh, taking advantage of the fact that God is on your side. Amen? That you realize this, God is favorably disposed toward you. You've already, you know this, you're already in good with the king. He's your daddy. Amen? You're in good with him. Amen? And he wants to give you things. Remember the story of the two sons? Some people call it the story of the prodigal sons. Actually, it's the story of the father and the two sons. Because there's a whole lot more there in that story than just the prodigal son. The story of the father and the two sons, amen. And when the when the older son, when the other son that hadn't departed father's house came to father, and he said, he said, oh, I've been with you all these years, and you never even gave me a little a little kid, a little goat to go have a party with my buddies. <laughs> it's so awful. What the father telling? The father said, Son, you here with me, and all that I have is yours. Why didn't he ever get anything? He never went to daddy and asked for it. He never went to the Father and he, and he never made a, a, a request from the Father on his prerogatives and his privileges as a child. You understand, anybody that's ever had a child, you understand your children have privileges with you that other people's children don't. Huh? One of them is... There it is, darling. Huh? How many of you all know? Your children, they like getting in it, don't they, Brother Jimmy? Amen? They're like, hey, Daddy, just pull that thing wide open, Daddy. Part that wallet. Amen? How many of y'all know the other people's children? If my kid came up to him, now Brother Jimmy's a good guy, and if Clay came to me and said, Mr. Jimmy, can I have a daughter? Clay, Brother Jimmy probably would, yeah. But now if Clay came up to me and said, Oh, Mr. Jimmy, um, can you go buy me a new car? <laughs> Mr. Jimmy probably would go, Oh, you need to talk to your daddy, Brother Clay. Amen? But when you have, but children have privileges that people who are not your children don't. And you need to, you need to get a firm realization of the fact that God is your Father. Amen? Jesus said the whole world's divided into two camps. Amen? Remember when the Pharisees were talking to Jesus? They were debating with Jesus. And Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil. Huh? I've said this before. Don't let anybody fool you and think, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not all God's children. If you're born again, if Jesus is your Lord, you've been born again, you've become a new creature in Christ, You, we're brothers. Amen? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? We're family. But if Jesus isn't someone's Lord, if they haven't been born again, according to the testimony of Jesus Christ, they're of their father, the devil. In other words, their nature, their spiritual nature, their spiritual characteristics is of the devil. That theirs is to be selfish and we and believers should be generous. Theirs is to be mean and we should be kind. Amen? We should be the exact opposite of the world. Theirs should be... I'm out to get all I can get for me. I'm watching out for number one. And our attitude ought to be, I'm out to bless as much as I can and take care of as many people and be a blessing to as many people as I can. Amen? You understand this? That, that, but we need to ask. Amen? And here's just a little tidbit for you. John, I'm just going to read this to you. John 15, 7. And you understand, some things we need to define stuff because some people have got way off the chain. Well, if I ask God for anything, He's going to give me anything I ask for. And, they, and people get off into error. And a couple of things can happen. You can get people whose faith is shipwrecked into thinking because they've been taught, well, you just ask God for anything and He'll give it to you. And if you can just really have enough faith to believe God for anything, He'll give you anything. Well, no. What's it say? Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 7, He said, If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, you'll ask what you'll desire and it shall be done for you. This is the context of asking for anything that people need to get a hold of. It's anything that God has spoken and said in His Word, He will give. Amen? Amen.
Some of you are scratching your head on that. You understand, you just can't pop off and say, well, I'm going to ask God to give me a brand new Lamborghini. Well, where does it say in the Word that God said He promised to give you a Lamborghini? If you can find it. Now, I'll say this, and I'll give, this, I'll give you this little caveat right here. There is, you know, the Bible talks about spiritual gifts, and there's, and there's the special gift of faith. That's a gift of the Spirit in operation. And, the, and you know what? And the Holy Spirit may speak to you and, and, and give you something specifically that the Word doesn't say to believe God for. And in that case, you can stand on it if it's really the Holy Spirit that, that gave that to you. But you understand that if we've got to hide the Word in our Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you want that's in my Word. You, do we see this? That's the context that Jesus is saying. You, hide, you abide in me and abide in my Word, and then whatever you ask for, and it's in the context of abiding in Him and abiding in His Word. That's exactly what He said. It's in that context. If you abide in me and, in, and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. It's in the context of you're in Him and you're asking His, according to His Word. Amen? He wants to bless you. God wants to do good in your life. Amen? God, you understand this? God, it is not God's will to punish anyone. I remember when I was a kid growing up, you know, you, I, you, there for a while I kind of had the attitude, man, that God was going to take great pleasure. You know, when people died, when the wicked died and God cast them into hell, those people that had bucked His law. But you understand this. God, the Bible says, God said in His Word, He said, He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. Amen? You think of the most wicked, evil person that you could think of in the world, and most of it is easy to think, you know, Adolf Hitler, you know? Do you realize that the angels did not break out in a chorus of hallelujah when Hitler died? I've said this before. You look at the tremendous amount of influence that that man had. What good could he have done with it? I mean, he turned a whole nation, he, made, he took a whole nation and made them completely hell-bent for destruction. Made them fully committed to the idea that they were absolutely going to carry out what he wanted done and it didn't matter the sacrifice of the country and left the whole country destroyed. What if he'd have taken that influence? What, you know, here's another one of those Paul Harvey things. Rest of the story. What if there was a call to ministry on Adolf Hitler's life and God wanted him to be one of the greatest evangelists that had ever walked in the 20th century in the, in the world? Could you just imagine the influence for good? that his life could have been. Amen? You understand? But God, the point is, is that God, no matter how wicked someone is, God has no desire. Desire, He takes no pleasure in the, the, in the death of the wicked. God does not want to punish you. <clears throat> God, contrary to what some people think, God is not sitting on a throne in heaven with a ball bat waiting for you to mess up so He can club you one right between the eyes like a salmon flopping on the bank of the Osabo River. Amen? Some of y'all wonder where Pastor got that. When I was a kid, we used to go fishing in Michigan. That's the way they'd knock the, the salmon out. We'd snag them and pull them out of the river, and they'd still be flopping around, and we'd have uh, someone that'd get, go in the fishing party with a ball bat and beat the fish right in the head so that they'd kill them and they wouldn't flop back into the river. <coughs> Understand this. God is not like that. God's not waiting for you to get, get flopped on the bank and him bust you between the eyes with a ball bat so he can straighten you out. God does not want to punish anyone. Understand this. <coughs> we were there in John... Chapter 3, we read verse 16. Verse 17, understand this. Let's read verse 33 here in Romans chapter. Romans 8, 33 says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Amen? In other words, who's going to bring an accusation? 
you need to understand this. God's not even looking for something to accuse you with. God is looking to excuse you. God is looking for a way to, to have you uh, absolved of anything that you've done. Understand this. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. I mean, you need to understand something. John three seventeen and 18 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the only begotten Son of God. You need to understand this. God is not in the condemning business. And his children shouldn't be either. That went over the head. I'll say that again. God is not in the condemning business, and his children should not be either. You understand, Jesus, like I said, we all are familiar with that verse, amen, John three sixteen, one of the greatest passages in the Bible. But verse 17 says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. You understand, the world was already condemned. Go back to the Garden of Eden when, God, when sin in the world, when Adam and Eve, when they took, partook of the fruit that, was, that, was, uh, that God said, don't eat it. God said, this is a forbidden fruit. Don't eat it. The day you eat it, you'll surely die. Guess what? They ate the fruit. And death entered into the world, amen, spiritual death. They died right then, even though they were still walking around, even though they were still <laughs> breathing, they were dead man walking. Because why? Because their spirit spiritually they died. Their spirit was dead under God. That spirit that was alive under God, that wasn't walking under any condemnation whatsoever, that spirit, you think about it, they're walking around naked with God. That sounds weird, right? But they didn't have any clothes on. I say that they were clothed in the glory of God. The Bible says they were clothed in the glory of God. But they were walking around and didn't feel any condemnation. Amen. Were able to, were able, Adam, you understand, Adam, when God appeared, Adam didn't go, Oh God, oh God, I'm so unworthy, I'm so, oh it's God, I'm so, he didn't do that. Adam did not have any sense of inferiority. He knew his place. He knew he wasn't God. But he didn't have any sense of inferiority. He didn't have feelings of condemnation. He didn't feel like, oh, I'm so unworthy. What did he think? He thought, hey, Dad, that's my daddy. Huh? And some of us, we might have a hard time accepting that. But read Luke chapter 3, what around verse 38, when it's running through the genealogy of Jesus, and it says, this one the son of this one, this one the son of this one, this one the son of this one, Seth the son of Adam, Adam the son of God. Amen? Adam was a son of God. That's what the Word says. And so Adam had no condemnation. But condemnation came in through sin, and when sin entered in, that relationship was broken. And you understand that we talked about fellowship and relationship earlier, that when fellowship's broken, relationship can be broken. Sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes the, that the relationship can be broken, and fellowship falls alongside too. It, it, it's, you know, it's like, a, it's like a swinging door. It can swing both ways. You can cut off fellowship and relationship can die and you can cut off relationship and let, the, and let fellowship die. Either way, it, it destroys relationships. Amen? But you understand this, is that, that man was already condemned. Amen? Understand this, Romans three twenty one through 24. Let me read this to you real quick. It says, Everyone sin, it says for, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let me turn there real quick. Amen? Romans... Chapter 3, 
Romans 3.21 Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. Amen? This is something you need to realize, is that man had already fallen short. That was your condition before Jesus. Amen? You were already in a fallen condition. Jesus didn't come to walk on the earth going, yeah, 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 you old dirty sinner. You old sorry thing, look what you're doing. Amen? Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn. Now, that being said, doesn't mean that Jesus didn't confront people. Jesus was one of the most confrontational people that there was when it comes to hypocrisy. Amen? And, and, and religious hypocrisy, Jesus confronted that. But Jesus did not come to the world. The world was already condemned. Amen? The Bible says that God is the justifier. Amen? Of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Turn to Hebrews chapter 7 real quick. Anybody wonder about the, the modern, the, the, the contemporary, uh, the contemporary ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that Jesus is not just sitting up on the throne waiting for God to say, come back, go get him? He has a ministry right now. The book of Hebrews tells us a whole lot about Jesus' current ministry, what he's doing right now. He's not kicked back in a lazy boy in heaven. Amen? Hebrews 7.25 <clears throat> Hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. God so desperately wants to not punish you that the Lord Jesus Christ, His current ministry right now is that Jesus Christ is sitting at the Father's hand and He's making intercession for you. Even when you're dumb and you blow it. Even when you do things that you know you're not supposed to do, God still so desperately wants to bless you. He wants to keep you in right standing that He's got your older brother, He's got your big brother, your Lord, your Savior, Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of God, and He's making intercession for you. He's pleading your case before God. Amen? That's what Jesus' ministry is today. He's not just sitting back taking these to do nothing. he got a whole bunch of people that He's interceding with the Father on their behalf. Amen? Amen. Back in Romans chapter 8, verses 35. I'm going to start with verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You need to understand this. Your circumstances cannot separate you from the love of God. That being said, I'll say this, and I've said this before. You realize that every single person that's in hell right now, God loves them. They're there because they refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but God still loves those people. But he, he honors the decision that they've made with their life because he's not gonna, he's not gonna step over will. But you need to understand this. Your circumstances are not big enough to separate you from God. Huh? You know, if you, if you've ever went through a divorce, that's not big enough to separate you from the love of God. Huh? 
If you've ever went through a spell where you've went through hard times and you've turned your back on God and backslid on God and turned your back on Him for a season, guess what? That can't separate you from the love of God. And you understand this. The love of God is this. It's not just a warm, mushy feeling, amen, but the love of God is I only do that which is to your benefit. Remember that? What's the word that the Bible says? It says that, uh, that love worketh no ill toward its neighbor. In other words, love means I only do what is to your benefit. And remember, agape, the agape love of God. Amen? We're not talking about eros, passionate, oh, emotional love. We're talking about the agape love of God means the God, and you understand this, true love, don't ever marry someone because you just fell in love with them. Now, some of us, you know, before you got taught in the Word, you may have just fell in some love with someone, right? Amen? We know folks are just goo-goo-ga-ga and just fell in love with each other. But somewhere along the line, you realize there had to be more than goo-goo and ga-ga, right? Amen? There had to be more than that. And so you realize that the love of God is the agape kind of love, and it's the only, it, it, and, and agape, you understand, it's the God kind of love. It means I make a conscious commitment to do only that which is to your good. But that, I mean, that's a, that's a good definition of what, when it says God loves, it means God saying, I have made a conscious decision. And, th- and this might seem foreign to some of us, but how many of y'all have heard of arranged marriages? You know, some cultures, the, the, the bride and groom, they don't even meet each other till the wedding day. Their parents go out and, and pick uh, a spouse for them. Amen? Glory to God. Look straight ahead. Some of you probably wish you could do that for your children right now, don't you? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen? But you, understand, and, and, but you understand this, that those cultures that have arranged marriages, they've got a much lower divorce rate than what Western cultures do. Now, if we look at them like they're weirdos. Oh, how weird. They don't even get to pick out their own husband. They don't even get to pick out their own wife. But they're, they've got a higher success rate with keeping their marriages together than, than marriages that are based on the, the Western uh, notion of romantic love. Amen? I'll spare you the history lesson on that. But you understand this, the agape love, the God kind of love, the love that is, that is the foundation that really all of our relationships, your marriages and your relationship with God, your relationship with children, your children should be based on is a love that is actually a conscious decision to do only what is to your good. When Cheyenne and I got married, and you, and you understand this, that in a marriage you need to bring all the facets of the love in. Yeah, you got, there's a place for Eros. Amen? In the family, there's a place for storge, and storge is the love of a parent for a child. Amen? And, and there's a place for, uh, you know, there's, there's a love that means an affinity toward to just enjoy doing something. You should have all those facets in, but the foundation, the bedrock of it has to be agape love. And this is the thing. You understand agape love, the, what determines the quality of agape love? The character of the person that gives it. The character, because agape is based on the character of the giver. Because this is the thing, if you say, oh, I agape you, but you're only with someone, you're only hooked up with someone until something better comes along or something you esteem as better comes along, then that's really not, then, then that might be your agape, but it's only as good as your character. But when God says, I love you, Nothing's going to separate you from my love. Nothing's going to separate you from my desire to do only that which is to your good. Can we make it that plain? God say, and let's put it this way, can we trust God's character? 
Is God's character impeccable? Amen. Is the character of the person offering that kind of love? God saying, look, there's no circumstance. There's nothing that's going to come up in your life. There's nothing that you can do that's so bad that if you ever just turn to me and confess your sins and you repent of it, that I'm not just going to completely forgive you, cleanse you, and restore you right back in the family, full privileges and full and, and everything. You can even go to the refrigerator and open up and get you something to eat, baby. Amen. Glory to God. Some of you go, what do you mean? I mean, you know, you know, you know, you're in with somebody when you can go to the refrigerator and just open it up and help yourself with something, right? Amen. And that's what God said. Do you understand? There's no circumstance in your life that will separate you from God's desire to want to do good to you. Amen. Understand this real quick. Hallelujah. God's desire is to rebuke the enemy. There may be areas in your life where you say, "Man, I just don't feel like you know, I, you know." I feel like I'm getting took to the woodshed and God's just standing around not doing nothing. Huh? I've been there before. How many of y'all have been in a situation where you just thought, man, if God loves me, it sure feels like He's a million miles away? Hmm? Well, you understand, you understand that those situations like that is when you really get to, when you really get to demonstrate your faith. Right? It's easy. This is the thing. In a marriage, we just use a marriage relationship. In a marriage, isn't it easy? Uh, to get along, you know, that life, life seems good when you and your spouse are having really good communication and everything that's going on, you know, everything's just smooth as silk and blah, blah. But then, you ha- how many of y'all have noticed that sometimes in your relationship, it, you know, I call it the ebbs and flows of a relationship. Sometimes you just feel so close that you, that you know what they're thinking before it comes out of your mouth. And then there may be other times where you don't feel maybe far away, but you don't feel as close as you did. Okay, some of you may feel far away. Amen. <laughs> some of you it might just be that you don't feel as close as you used to. Well, how many of y'all know that that just because you're going maybe through those times of you don't feel near as close to God as what you used to, you feel like maybe He's abandoned you. Understand this: God's not forgotten you. Your circumstances have not cut you off, and you are not in a position to where God cannot minister to you. Amen. Isaiah fifty-nine, nineteen, and twenty-one. We're going to read this, and we're going to wrap this up this morning. Isaiah 59, 19, if starting with 19, I'm going to set you the context for this uh, scripture, is that the prophet is talking to a backslid nation. Understand that when God is speaking, he's speaking to the, the nation of Judah through the prophet Isaiah. And if I'm not mistaken, if my, if my memory serves me right, at the time of this writing, the Ten northern tribes have already been conquered by uh, by Assyria. Amen. They've already. The, the, you remember Israel split. There was Judah, and there was the kingdom of Judah, and there was the kingdom of Israel. And the northern kingdoms had already been conquered by Assyria, and and Judah was following the same types of sins that Israel did that caused God's judgment to come on them. And so the prophet is speaking to a nation who is on the verge of being judged, and even though judgment is getting ready to come, this is what I want you to get in in the context of this passage I'm getting ready to read. Even though the nation is on the verge of judgment because of of them turning their back on God and walking away from God, God is still expressing to them His desire. Look, if you just repent, if you just repent, I, I only want to do good. My desire is to do good. My desire is to not let the consequences of your actions come upon you. And so Isaiah 59 verse 19 says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes, 
Now, most of us will read this. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Read it like this. When the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Amen? Most people, when they read this, they're reading it as when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord lifts it up. This is saying when the enemy comes in like a flood, God's going to, the Spirit's going to raise up a standard. Amen? Because you understand this. You can write this down. Isaiah 28.2, God refers to Himself as the flood coming against your enemies. Isaiah 28.2, God says, I'm the flood that's coming against your enemy. When the enemy comes in, God's just saying, look, I'm going to come in like a flood. I'm going to stand up for you. Why? Because I'm on your side. I've got your back. My desire is to do good to you and to bless you. I want to come in and understand this. It says, uh, verse 20, Isaiah 59.20 says, The Redeemer will come to Zion. Listen to this. And those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants, descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forever. Amen? You need to realize this. God wants to bless you. God is on your side. You'll not have a bigger fan. Amen? There's not a bigger cheering section in the universe for you than in the throne room of heaven because God wants to see you succeed. He's on your side. He loves you. He's made His resources and His, and, and His riches available to you in your life to carry out your assignment here on the earth. Right? Do we believe that? Do we believe that my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory? Amen? Do we believe that when God, that God doesn't send anyone to fight a warfare at their own expense? Amen? God's going to pick up the tab. So God loves you. He wants to bless you. He wants to meet your needs. Amen. And He doesn't. He take, He wants to bless you worse than you want to be blessed. And God doesn't want to see any punishment meted out upon you. Amen. Especially not from the devil. Especially not from the devil. Because how many of you understand? Sometimes you can do something that violates God's word, and you can bring judgment upon yourself. Amen. But don't you ever think for one minute that God's going to turn you over and let the devil beat on you. I punish my own children. I'm not going to go over to the, to the, to the, the prison across the, the interstate over to the prison and look for some child abuser to come and, and spank my kid. Can you spank my kid for me? I'd be insane to do that, wouldn't I? Right? Then what makes you think that God's going to let the devil whip you? Amen? God's going to... If God chastens you and God punishes you, He uses His Word to punish you. He don't go to a child abuser to, t- to straighten his kids out. Amen? Let's just think about some stuff soberly because we'll think about some, we'll think some stuff that's stupid if we thought about it in the natural, right? Huh? God's not going to find a child abuser to straighten his kids out. He takes care of his own children, the, the discipline of his own children. Amen? So understand this, God is on your side. God said, and, and, and I like to tell you this, Jeremiah 29, 11, praise God, the Lord's just really been burning that in me lately. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and give you a hope, to, to give you a future and a hope. Amen? God wants to see you succeed. He is vested in you. He's paid the highest price possible because He believes in your potential. Amen? Praise God. Let's, let's pray. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank You for this day. Father, we thank You that You are on our side. Father, we thank You, Lord, that we can boldly say, The Lord is our helper. We shall not fear what men can do. And so, Father, right now...